Hello and welcome to Business Talk with Chris Hazel. Today I'm joined by Liz Wybrow. Um, Liz is an end of life and grief coach. Uh, she has the goal of encouraging those who are dying or suffering loss to help them to find hope and purpose to live life as fully as possible. So um, welcome, Liz. Thank you. And it's nice to be on on this uh, platform to sort of really share a bit more about what I am doing and uh, hopefully uh, encourage those of you who maybe thinking what on earth is she doing in this arena to really get a more uh, better understanding but also appreciate those of you who might benefit from it as well so yeah. um yeah absolutely yeah thank you um so yeah first of all i've obviously briefly explained what you do but yeah perhaps mm -hmm. you could tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, and what what it is you do in in your eyes yeah well um i uh, I'm a qualified solicitor. I have been a solicitor for many, many years, um, but I'm no longer practicing. And I think um, COVID put paid to all of that, really, uh, because I was one of the key workers involved in preparing wills and dealing with people at end of life. And I was bombarded um, by people who needed to sort out their legal affairs, whether before or after death. And I was bombarded with death and realised that people weren't prepared well for death, um, particularly younger people and particularly to the extent that they encountered it. And particularly the health service, I was working with people in the health service too who were just not only exhausted, but emotionally a wreck as a result of that. And um, I had my team furloughed. And so I was working, charging up and down the motorway in and out of, um, not in and out of care homes, but standing outside windows of care homes and sorting things out. And I just realized that actually there was more to life than doing that. And uh, I actually, towards the middle of the year, suffered with burnouts and had to stop working for a while. And when time came to come back, I realized actually I couldn't go back into that. I needed to meet people at their point of need rather than just roll on doing wills, winding up people's estates and dealing with their affairs. So that's how I came to leave the law and how I came to find life coaching because I was also um, in conversation with somebody um, who was a life coach who said, you don't need to do this for the rest of your life. What really floats your boat? And um, Having discussed it with that person, I realized actually I could retrain and should retrain as a life coach. So I did that and then decided that actually my main focus is on all sorts of loss, but specifically on people facing the limiting um, life expectancy that they may have or people having actually suffered a bereavement and therefore trying to walk forward with that grief and uh, create their new normal. Mm. And so was that your business that you owned previously or were you a partner in the firm or? Uh, no, I wasn't a partner. I'd never wanted, to, I had been a partner many moons ago, but um, I was just heading up a department uh, within um, a local firm of solicitors and um, yeah, and was just plodding along until COVID hit like many of us, you know, we just plodded on and then suddenly bam, we recognized and reevaluated, I think what was important. Mm. 
And so then you retrained, you went through coaching to be a life coach. Who, who did you do that with? And, and... I did that with an organisation called 3D Coaching, um, who are a national and international um, organisation, actually. They're, they're based in the UK, but they coach people all over the world um, and they uh, coach to the International Coaching Federation standards. Okay. And what, so, uh, what does that look like? What does it look like? It looks like a lot of practical exercises, actually coaching. It's not a lot of, there is theory, but the theory is all backed up with really practical coaching hours spent with uh, different people coaching on all sorts of subjects and by coaching I mean you know people bring whatever question they want to think about and you uh, journey with them in that process mm -hmm. so um, I've coached all sorts of situations people facing um, really important decisions about their uh, uh, perhaps their career um, really important uh, conversations about perhaps some life choices that they may have made, whether that might be to move house or whether it might be to change a partner or um, to leave a, an unhealthy relationship. Um, but also people who have come to me who may have suffered uh, bereavement or suffering some really challenging health issues that uh, means that they've got to reconsider their future. Mm -hmm. And so how 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 does your process look for um helping someone through that? What's your what does a, a, a coaching process look like? Um a conversation, really. It is a conversation, but it is a, a structured conversation. Uh but it's working in partnership with the other person. So actually I won't know what that person wants to talk about or think about unless I ask them. So it will always start with a, with a question about what they want to talk about and what they want to think about during the session. And, uh, and then we'll together create um, goals of what that person would like to be different at the end of it, um, how they'd like to work with me. Do they want me to be super challenging? Do they want me to be super supportive? Do they want me to encourage them to really think outside the box or just journey quietly with them? Um, until things pop out and then really i think that the important thing is to end well together and to make sure that they have somewhere to take their thinking beyond that conversation uh it may be that they say well i'm going to think about it and come back to you in a fortnight's time um or it may be they say actually i'm going to go and see my boss and and see about you know if they want to change hours or if they want to change roles or if they need some more um training to fulfill that role better um or it, it may be that actually i i discovered during the course of the conversation what they really need is is some sort of therapy um because there are some real issues that they need addressing that i can't deal with so i suppose coaching is really forward focused it's traveling that journey together it's making sure that they're getting insights into their situation it's not about what i think about their situation it's where they're going with their thinking, um, because they're the ones who are the expert, really, not me. Mm. So you I'm not. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and so you mentioned you, you you sort of work with a number um, career coaching things as well. Is that is that when you were starting, and then you sort of more focused down? Um, I, I think it's really interesting because. Um, uh, although I'm set up as um, that as my specialism, um, 
because of the training I've got, I can coach anybody. So I do get people who come with all sorts of things um, to talk about and not necessarily end of life or bereavement. Um, and, and I think it's interesting. I'm looking at the way I market my business and some of the things that the feedback I've had is and some of the clients I've had is actually you're dealing with great losses of all sorts of types mm. and and obviously the major loss that each one of us will face at some point or other is the death of somebody close to us whether that's a parent a partner um a sibling child or just a really close friend it's it's something that we're all going to have to face and also as we get older not necessarily older but you know sort of actually some of us also have to face debilitating um illnesses and events that cause us to stop and need to pivot and need to really rethink how we're going to face the next stage of our life. Um, so, but, you know, we have losses when some of us have very close attachments to our pets, for example. Some of us uh, actually have losses if we have kids and they grow up and we're empty nesters and we have to change our roles. Um, some of us have losses through breakdown in relationships. So actually, although I'm sort of marketing myself, I hate that word, but um, focusing on, on, on end of life and death, actually it can feel like the end of the world when these things happen. Mm. So it's... It's been yeah. an organic journey of you've Definitely. had all sorts of clients and actually, but mm. then you're now structuring, your, um, like you say, the, the marketing or um, mm. the way you present yourself to down sort of a more specialised route just because of that's the, the client that you attracted. Is that, you think, yeah. because of your history of working within wheel writing? And Absolutely. They... It's, it, yeah, and it, it's the bulk of my... Um experience has been in that arena and so um people will naturally know that that's what i've done in the past and therefore it's a natural leap if they say oh actually i could speak to liz because she i know she's doing life coaching now and she might be able to actually help me think this through um but for example one of one of the people i've worked with um suffered a catastrophic stroke so actually that's really life it's not life limiting at the moment but it's life changing mm. and he chose to work with me because he thought actually i would have the empathy and the sympathy that was needed without feeling you know sort of oh no that's awful but actually seeing hope in a pretty grim situation mm. um so so you know that's nothing to do with death he's not at death's door He's actually fully alive and fully able to 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 um, have sort of his life changing experience used and useful to other people, but he just needed to recalibrate how he was thinking about and imagining his future. Yeah, and so with with a client that comes to you and they have a, a problem, do you have um, a set uh, like number of sessions that they might have with you, or would it more be really totally dependent upon their needs i know a lot of life coaches or um uh people in that sort of area would you know do a six-week course or, or something like that six session or 12 sessions or something like that is that something that you do um no i would usually say it probably takes about three sessions to to um to work through perhaps all of the things they want to to work through and i suggest that they perhaps sign up to that 
but if they just want to sign up for a taster session, they can do that. And equally, if somebody gets the clarity in two sessions, I'm not holding them to pay for me to work three sessions with them because I think that's morally wrong. Um, I don't have a program because, as I said at the beginning, each person is unique. They come with a unique set of uh, things they need to think about. If I came with a pro, pro a program, I would be forestalling that. And I'd be saying, well, this is what you need to work through. Now, it may be in my head, I think, oh, they're really not, they're in denial at this stage because there are various stages of grief that one tends to go through, not in a set order, but I might think, oh, they're in total denial that actually they've got perhaps six weeks to live. But I'm not going to say you need to go through anger, denial, you know, all these different, you know, stages of uh, uh, guilt, you know, all these stages of grief um, for your situation, because actually it may not be an issue for that person or they may not be ready to face it and to acknowledge it. So that's why I start each session is what would you like to think about today? Mm -hmm. And I'm not, I don't have any expertise in them as an individual. They have that expertise and they know what they're ready to think about. And it may be that somebody comes to me and says, I want to talk about this. And we talk about whatever it is. And, and actually, I've got one client I'm working with at the moment. And we talked about a lot of things. And she's gone away to think about them. And she arranged to come and see me a month later. And she keeps on postponing because she keeps on saying, actually, I'm not ready to come back yet. I'm not ready because I've got so many spin-off thoughts. And actually, we've now arranged to see each other later this month so you know there's no one size fits all each individual is this unique however when i'm presenting programs to organizations for perhaps them to think about how they tackle grief and bereavement and those issues within the workplace then there is a program so uh, there are two elements to my work there's one that's working with organizations and saying to them you know you need to basically wise up to grief being a big issue in the workplace, particularly post-COVID, but also generally. You don't have any workplace where no one is going through some sort of bereavement or grief. Um, and actually, we're not very good at it in the yeah. workplace. So, so those are more program-based because you can't address the individuals, but you've got to address certain things that crop up. So that's helping them uh what by sending 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 people to you or or you just giving them a, a, a an outline of what they should be doing um, there's both i can i can be used by an organization to actually say you know let's look at your bereavement policy let's look at actually how you're um actually holding people who are going through that tough time how are you managing workloads how are you doing so we can look at all of that with the organization and i can run um programs with managers so that they know how to then um actually um deal sensitively with staff who may need time off who may need support when they return to work so that that's sort of a program offered to um senior managers um who are dealing with those sorts of situations and HR individuals who are having to address policies and, and whatever. But then the other uh, area I work with businesses who are either themselves dealing with grief all the time. So that might be, for example, a care home. It might be, for example, 
um, as a life insurance company or constantly taking phone calls from people of, you know, my husband's died, I need X, Y, and Z. And it actually filters through drip by drip and impacts people. So they may feel they would like to see a grief coach and then the business might pay for them to have some personal coaching and bereavement coaching. So they've got, you know, the resilience to actually move forward in what their work involves. And it might be somebody at the front line um, I'm negotiating at the moment with an organisation who are dealing really at the front line of caring for individuals. And you'd be amazed how little support there is for medical professionals. Mm. They're just expected to cope. Yeah. And you had sort of existing relationships with these these types of companies from mm. from your previous role, or, or absolutely, yeah. absolutely, because I was obviously dealing with them professionally um, and trying to to sort out people's affairs after they died. And you, you particularly during COVID, you recognise the weariness of people. Grief is exhausting physically as well as emotionally. Um, so, what impact does that have on you? Um, or have you found that has on you? It, it, well, I've been doing it for many years, uh, not the grief coaching, um, but working in the industry. Um, I um, I don't know whether you've read my bio or seen anything, but I, I um, was bereaved as a child. My father died when I was very little. I was three. Um, I've suffered lots of bereavements throughout my life. Um, I've been sort of surrounded by people who seem to be drawn to me. I mean, one of my very good friends from university, her husband dropped down dead. I was the first person she phoned. Um, my next door neighbour, her husband dropped down dead in the middle of the night when she had a young child and she came down and, you know, we were trying to um, resuscitate him and, you know, all of that. So how does it affect me? Of course it affects me. But um, I have somebody I go to. And offload onto as well you know i can't do this job just absorbing it but also the joy of life coaching is the responsibility remains with that individual so i'm not taking on all of their emotion i'm not taking on all of their processing of stuff i'm just really journeying with them so it's quite a loose it, it's like you know sort of somebody once described it i think my trainer described it it's like holding the balance of the ball between the two of you so I don't take too much of that. And actually the ball eventually goes back to them because they have to move forward. Um, so that makes sense. It made sense to me that it wasn't mine to take home. So sometimes when I've had a heavy session with somebody, I will need to go for a long walk mm. just to centre down and, you know, good breathing, good exercise outside and that will be enough. If it's not enough, I take it then to uh, my mentor who will just help me offload whatever I've got. Okay. So a coach for the coach almost. That you, Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. You, you, you know, you, you cannot carry people's stuff. And I've learned that, you know, even as a lawyer, I can't mm. carry stuff because often you're shouted at as a lawyer because you're not doing things the way somebody wants it to be done or you're charging too much or whatever. And you have to learn a sort of resilience mm. without losing the empathy without yeah. losing the sensitivity. So what do you think the biggest misconception people have about life coaches or someone in your in your profession? I think the biggest misconception is anyone can be a life coach. And there are a lot of people who set themselves up as a life coach or an expert in 
traveling with somebody now of course we all we all can do that with people to a greater or lesser degree but i think when you're doing it and holding people's really big issues i think without proper professional training it's very risky and it's very interesting to see how poor some people's life coaching skills really are so <laughs> going through a, a, a training process you think is makes or obviously helps make a good a good life coach even I, your tra- yeah. your training process you mentioned was a lot of practical and a lot of that putting a lot of hours in coaching mm. so could someone then do it if they had a lot of hours um behind them but not the coaching or um or not the training does, does is it is it a mixture of both or is it more... i think it has to be a mixture of both and it has to be a mixture i mean the clues in the, the name life coaching it's life experience you can't be taught life experience you only get the experience through living and actually through many years of living and living what each one of us brings something different to the table but actually at the age of 22 23 when you've gone through perhaps school university out what should i be i'll be a life coach is quite dangerous and it's quite fashionable because actually it's unregulated it's an unregulated industry that is about to change and i'm so pleased because i think people think i can be one and actually that's quite dangerous i sign up to ethical and moral um, standards that are set by the coaching federation i make sure that i am mentored i make sure that i am constantly being retrained and and challenged myself in the way i work and i think that gives great comfort to any person i am working with that actually i'm not just setting up on my own and doing my own thing because actually whilst it's unregulated that's what anyone can do yeah i said so my wife's actually uh training to be a, a life coach at the moment um mm-hmm. with um on the animas course oh yeah yeah um yeah. so yeah she's going through a lot of this this like probably the similar things that that, that you went, went through and, and yeah one of her things is you know she's got to do at least 60 hours coaching to mm-hmm. and i think it's 100 hours to be accredited, accredited which is that's right which yeah. is a, a lot of coaching and um yeah you know the the actual sort of physical course training hours compared to that is 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 sort of minuscule so yeah um i guess uh it's a little it, it seems to be yeah quite a lot of you you train that way of 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 um of doing things by actually having those conversations with with people and 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 learning the process so what 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 makes you different in a, a life coach for um uh, yeah, helping people with loss and grief, etc., to a counsellor, say, or a, or a therapist. Obviously, you said you sometimes you find that you do refer people across to a therapist if it's not um, something you can help with. So, what, what make, what's the difference between yourself and those? I think, uh, I think, yeah, I think a therapist um, much more. You're going to the expert in the room. You're going to the person who will look over quite a lot of your history will look back quite a long way to try and see where those that thinking style um has come from what damage might have been done in your past i don't do any of that i start with the raw material that is presented to me here and now and we the way i've been trained is to look 
forward, not back. Backwards isn't helpful. We are where we are, but forward focus. And the other thing I've been taught is to be unconditionally positive about our future. You know, actually, we have the ability to face a future that may not look how we'd imagined it, but can look very different. And we can imagine how we might want to face that future and then walk into it. So whereas a therapist um, will be dealing with some big, big issues. I mean, if there are big issues in somebody's past that I spot that prevent them from looking forward, I have to refer them and say, look, actually, you're not ready to work with me now. You've got so much from the past that needs actually unpacking and I'm not the right person. So it may be that I have to call them up and say, look, actually, let's end this session. Let's find you a therapist. Let's find you a counsellor. Go through that. And if you're ready to move on, then having spent some time with them, do come back to me. And I think people actually value the fact that you're honest with them. Because I don't want people to think I've taken money from somebody and I can't help them because that's wrong. It's morally and ethically wrong on every level. Um, and and But I don't think, you know, people think, oh, you automatically need a counsellor if you're struggling with something. And, you, you know, the converse is true. Why pay for counsellor when actually your mental health is quite good? but you're just facing a really big issue and you want somebody to help you think differently and sort of walk around the issue that you're facing and look at it, help you look at it with different eyes so that you can move forward. So it could be that you, they, they go, they have, they go through some therapy mm. and, and mm. move, start to move past it and then they come back to you then Absolutely. sort of as the, the finishing um Yeah touches or you know, cherry on top type uh, mm. scenario. Yeah, and I think particularly with, with bereavement, a lot of people um, don't need therapy, but are facing very unfamiliar feelings. And so actually it's, it's, it's being able to walk with somebody and whatever they may be thinking, feeling or, 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 or worrying about, it might just be enough to say, actually, that's totally normal. Um, and I think... Um, you know, once they know it's totally normal, they can say, well, okay, but I can't see how I can move forward. Well, that's fine. Where would you like to be in three months' time? Where would you like to be in six months' time? You know, it, it, it's sort of sometimes very baby steps, particularly if it's a lifelong partner of many years or um, a child or, you know, somebody who you can't imagine life without them. And um, so we just... Bit, bit off off track of what we've been discussing, I guess, but just something that occurred to me was: Do, do you find there's a particular type of person that's more willing to come to you? I, I'm I'm probably more talking gender wise. Do you find you get more females that are more open to this type of thing, or is it a, perhaps a surprising um, that, that men do come to you? Or how, how does that look? It's a really interesting question. I don't think it's gender-based, I think personality type. I think men are much more open to talking than perhaps we give them credit for. And I particularly think within a situation that's totally confidential, and they know it's totally confidential, I'm not feeding back to anybody the specifics of the conversation, even if they've been referred by their organisation. 
there's total confidentiality unless there's a risk to themselves or, or to others. Um, so I think that once they're assured of that, there is a personality type that is more prepared to open up than to battle on on their own. So the personality type rather than, than gender rules? I, I think so. And I think I think that's good. I think perhaps if you'd asked me that, and I wasn't life coaching 20 years ago, but I think, you know, when it was in its infancy, I, I think probably men would have found it really hard unless it was career coaching or something, you know, really sort of they could see that, 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 that it was going to further them in, in what they were aiming for career-wise. Mm. Um, but I think men are much more happy to open up now. Oh yeah, um, yeah. Just like I said, just just occurred to me as a question. Yeah, I, 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 I'm okay. wondering. Um, so, what's um? Tell me about your sort of your biggest failure uh, in in life or in business or what you found since you've been in business. Um, I think I don't know whether you you read my uh, my blog post on LinkedIn. Um, turn of the year. I think it's been much harder than I thought it was going to be. To set up and to work on one's own. I think, you know, having worked within an organisation, you've got all of the support structures in place, whether that's, uh, you know, admin support, whether it's just um, physical support, there are other people you can pass a file across to if you're busy, um, uh, whether it's just somebody to chat with, you know, I think, is it a failure? No, I think it's been the biggest challenge to me because mm. I thought, oh, it's easy. I've, we've all been working from home since lockdown. You know, it's it's all been distance, socially distance, blah, 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 blah. And I, th I think that's been the biggest um, shock to me. Um, failure, yes, it has been hard to get clients, a lot harder work than I thought it was going to be because again as a solicitor people know exactly what you do whereas the fact that I'm having to explain myself to you every networking event I have to explain what do you actually do um so that's it's it's hard work um mm. it's challenging is it a failure do I perceive myself as a failure or that being a failure I don't know I think as I say it was a real wake-up call to realize that I couldn't carry on being a solicitor in the environment in which I was trying to work then. Um, and so do you find this much more fulfilling, you know, trying to grow a business or the work itself? Or? Yeah, I think the work itself is much more f fulfilling when I'm one-on-one -on -one or when, I, when I'm perhaps presenting to an organisation. That is great. I love that. And that really floats my boat and um, makes my heart sing. Um what I hate is the business side of it. <laughs> I'm honest, you know, keeping accounts, keeping records, keeping, uh, you know, on top of leads, whether they're warm leads or whether they're, you know, sort of really cold leads and sussing people out like that because I was used to a business where people would come to me automatically because they knew exactly what, you know, they wanted a will doing, I would draft a will. They wanted some advice when somebody died, I would give them that advice. You know, it's those sorts of things. It's much mm. less clear cut and for some people a little bit more fuzzy and less clearly defined. Yeah, and I think um, it goes back to what you're saying about working on your own as well. Um, when you don't know, you know, certainly something I've, struggle with i think is um yeah when you don't uh you haven't done it before and you don't have a, a company that's 
passing you, you know, leads or you know, people are just automatically coming to you. So I've had conversations with other friends or business owners where I sort of asked them about their marketing. And my dad used to own a business as well. I, I try and talk to him about marketing and you know, the, the line of business that they were in, it was um, it is completely different. They basically don't, don't do any. Um, oh. And yeah, it's, 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 when you're on your own doing that as well and discovering it all is um yeah it's a challenge isn't it certainly um so what what are you proudest of or what's your biggest success in business in business yeah the fact that i've actually done it i think you know the easy option would always be to look backwards and say oh i could go back and do that the drop of a hat um but i'm proud that I've done it and the people that I've worked with have valued the work that we've done together. And I'm proud. I, I would use the word, I think it's a real privilege actually to, to work with people and see transformation happen before your eyes. You know, people can come quite broken and quite um, in need of somebody to just really support and champion them. And and that's such a privilege Um so whether it's pride, pride's a difficult word, isn't it? But yeah, I suppose I am. I'm so pleased to have worked with those people. And, you know, to see them walking tall and full of ideas and buzzing is great. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, you should be proud. I think, you know, obviously work a long time as a in one particular industry to, to mm. completely stop that and do something completely different. Yeah, it takes a lot of bravery and... Or um, stupidity. I'm not quite sure <laughs> which it is. Really, yes, there is a fine line, isn't there? <laughs> yeah, there is definitely. It's a tightrope. <laughs> and um, to tell me, where, where do you see the business going? Where, where do you want to see it in, say, five years' time? What, what's your plans for it? Well, I'm really hopeful that people will see um, that actually it's not just a sort of pie-in-the-sky idea. Um, the UK Commission on Bereavement actually published some research that said that people really need help in addressing their grief. We've grown away from tight-knit communities where they supported one another, and people are so disparate, even families are disparate, um, that actually they published a series of, you know, sort of what people going through grief and bereavement should expect. And one of the things was the need for them to find a safe place to talk. And I think, you know, that's been published nationally. It's gone to government for them to consider. There, I say it, it won't be top of their priorities because they've got other things to do. But actually, now we've got the evidence-based research. I would love to see in five years' time everybody at least being given the opportunity to have a life coach to help them, whether that's for an hour or whether it's for 10 hours or whether it's you know somewhere in between or even more than that. Um, to actually do life with them because I think we all need somebody to do life with who can see things from a different perspective and encourage you to see things from a different perspective. Very easy to get very bogged down. So in the next five years, I mean, I'm having conversations with hospices about working with their staff, their patients, their families. That would be really exciting to do that. Uh, conversations with funeral directors as well about people who come to them who realise that Actually, their job doesn't just stop in once the body's been taken away and buried or cremated, but there's an ongoing need to support people. I'm in conversations with businesses. I'd love to be doing more work with them. And But at the end of the day, transforming lives one by one, really. 
And is, is that something, so you, you'd be looking to get it government-backed or government-funded? Um, I, I would like just... I li- would like the government to recognise the need for it. I won't get funding from government. Mm. Um, it may be lottery funding, it may be other funding, um, but there is no funding from governments, I would say, for the next 10 years while I try and address the real crisis of care and cost of living and all the rest of it. I mean, I I just think there are important priorities for them, and I get that. Um, But it's not the finances. I suppose it's businesses recognising they could be better as well, because actually the the numbers are phenomenal of the people. I think it's 56% of people say they have nowhere to turn to when they've been bereaved, and and many of them would leave and do leave work because they're not dealt with well. So actually, it's all about business retention as well for businesses to just sit up and take note too. So I'm working slowly, but I suppose over the next five years, I'd love to see businesses really saying, yeah, we need help here. And then having been helped to see they're doing really good stuff in that arena. Great. Uh, well, yeah, fingers crossed. Um, so uh, just the last couple of questions um, yes. that I ask every week. So the first one is, what's your favourite local business? Well, I suppose I have to say this, and I hope she's going to listen to this podcast, um, is, is S, it's, it's Real World Consulting. They have been mentoring me, um, and they're based in Worcester. Um, they've been mentoring me and particular Esther Partridge Warner at that organisation, who's really been pushing me outside my comfort zone um, to actually do things. Um, so at the moment, I'm looking at styling and rebranding and things like that that just aren't me at all. But she's great, and she she's been a great companion on this journey and a great champion for me. So she's a, a, market, a marketeer, is she? Did, did, um... She's been doing some business. She's been doing business consulting. Business with consulting. Me. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and it's Real World Consulting is the organisation that she works. Um, I think there are three of them involved in it that I'm working with Esther. Right. Um, and then just finally for. Um, for the listeners, where can they find out more about you? Where, where do they yeah, go? Yeah, well, I haven't got the, that elusive website yet, but that's next on my agenda of things to do. But um, they can contact me on LinkedIn. Um, they can contact me, and I'm Liz with an S, not a Z, um, Ybrow, W-H-Y-B-R-O-W, and I'm also on um, liz.ybrow at icloud.com. Um, so, you know, drop me a line or try to connect with me on LinkedIn, tell me where you've heard heard about me, and I will connect with most people. I will disconnect if they're trying to sell me something openly um, because I want to get to know people first before I buy, and um, I'm quite ruthless about disconnecting from people <laughs> who I've linked up with if all that they do is sell me something without getting to know me. Yeah, but so the connection I, comes and then the message comes two seconds yeah. later. <laughs> and it, it's not just one message, it's five, you yeah. know, when you ignore the first one. <laughs> so either that or if anybody becomes abusive on LinkedIn, I will disconnect. <laughs> so I've only had one person who was um, very offensive so far. So, uh, yeah. Great. Well, it's been really great talking to you. Thank you so much. Um Thank Really you, interesting Chris. to find out more about what you do and... Um, 
and yeah, mm. what a grief coach he is, etc. So yeah, thank you so much. That's cool. Thank you, Chris, and best of luck to you and your business and also your wife in her training. <laughs> Very you. exciting. I'll that on. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Take care yes. then. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, please email me at chris at chrishazelmortgages.co.uk. Speak to you next time.